Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Podcast, equipping people to live successful Christian lives. Babe, I love you. I'm so appreciative of you. Your calling that you have that God has placed upon your life, even as a young girl, and I honor you and recognize you for that gift. So would you give a great Warm welcome to my wife and beautiful bride, Kristen Miller. Oh, stop. No, no. No. He gets it. You guys, you know I love you so much, but you just sit down and... And um, I'm so humbled that I get to do this. And I'm so humbled every year that I hear your stories and your testimonies of what God has done in your life through Lavish Sisterhood. It's really his vision. It's his heart that I am just get to be um, a mouthpiece for him and his hands and feet in such an honor, such an honor. But before I begin today, I want to just honor some some people in the house that have um, just really worked really hard this weekend to set the table for you to come and partake in God's presence and partake with one another. And they've done a gorgeous job at that. So that's our volunteers, of course. So yeah, if you have volunteered in any way, can I have you stand? I want to honor you. I do not do this alone. I cannot do it without you. Stand. Keep standing. Yeah. You guys really, you really, really, you guys aren't even standing. What? My team. Come on, you girls. Bad. 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 Yes. You guys, I just, I'm so appreciative. You know, it takes, it takes quite a woman to get behind another woman's vision that God has called me to do for this house and then women to come and, and buy into that vision and be obedient to that and partner with what God's doing. So that's what these women have done. It's a small army. And there's some guys involved too. Let's give it up for our guys. Yeah. You guys, you know... Aren't we so thankful that we have such a good pastor? Yeah. John, you do an amazing job. Thanks for believing in Lavish Sisterhood and the ministry that God's called. And he's so cute, isn't he? And he's so handsome. And I am honored to be married to that man. And I love doing ministry together. So with that said, um, yeah, our volunteers, you guys have knocked it out of the park, haven't they? It's so good. I'm so appreciative. Let's just pray. And because, you know, when I share, I get a little nervous and I just need, I, I just want the Holy Spirit to do his work. It's really not my words we've prepared up until this point, but now it's, it's all on God. It's not on us, right? And so can we just, however you want to welcome, I like to just kind of open my arms as a sign of welcoming Jesus. We need you. And we invite your presence, God, into this room. You're already here, but Lord, individually that you would come and, and Lord, that we would sense your spirit, Lord, that we would sense your voice right now as I share your word. God, that your word would go forth into the ears of the hearers that need to hear it. God, and that you're going to speak things that I'm not even saying, but somehow they're connecting the dots because that's just how you work. So whatever this girl needs that's sitting here within the sound of my voice, that you would now feed her spirit, Jesus. 
And I pray that in Jesus, in your mighty name. And we all said, amen, amen. Well, I don't have a timer today, so we probably will go over, but that's okay. But we're going to have a break in a little bit if you need to use the potty and, and such. So just sit with me. But, but I want you to picture with me for a moment the night of the Last Supper. The night, and that's not too far of a stretch for our imaginations because we just took communion together, which was what Jesus set the table for his disciples the night where he was getting ready for the crucifixion. And Jesus knew that the events were set in motion to, for the crucifixion. He knew the events were set in motion of what was going to happen because we have to understand that Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. And so he was fully God and so he knew the events that were going to take place as he set the table. As he set the table for his 12 people, he knew that the pain that would come from their betrayal, from, from their abandonment, from their desertment. And he was fully man, and so he knew, he knew what was going to happen, but he also had the emotion of what was going to happen. So, so you had to know as he set the table that he knew that pain of loneliness. He knew that pain of isolation. He knew that pain of abandonment. And as he took the bread and he broke it, for those same people, the ones who were closest to him. And he broke the bread and he handed it to the, each one, knowing full well that in a few hours they were going to turn their backs on him. He knew that pain. He knew that loneliness. As he, as he poured each of them the wine from, from the pitcher and handed it to them so lovingly, he knew was it, what was about to happen. He knew the burden. He carried that burden of pain. And he sets the ultimate table of reconciliation before us. You know, you and I, we all have tables in our home, don't we? We all come to the table. We all, a lot happens around the table. You know, Charity and I were talking. We almost borrowed one of her grandmother's tables. And she said, oh, the stories that have happened at that table, the tears that have been shed at that table, the moments and the memories and, and the laughter, the food fights that have happened at that table. And I said, Charity, we can't borrow that table because what if something happens to it? <laughs> So we, we decided on this one, but things happen at the table. Throughout culture and throughout history, things happen at the table. The table has been representative of community, of reconciliation, and of healing. And as we have set the table for you here to come and to meet with God and to par partake with him at his table and partake with one another. I believe that God wants to do a work in your life of reconciliation, of, of community, and of healing in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. I believe that. Jesus invites you to this table. He invites you. He wants you to have a seat at the table. He has a seat with your name on it. Don't you love it when you show it at a dinner party and they have your name on it? I love that because it's reserved for me. Jesus invites you to the table, not because he wants to fix you, not because he wants to tell you everything you've done wrong and you can do better. He wants to invite you to the table because he loves you. 
And he just wants to be with you. Some of you, depending on your background, that you struggle with that. You struggle with that because you think, how could I be that personal with God that he would just want to be with me? Just like you're sitting next to your friend right now and you've had conversation with her today. Jesus loves you and wants to be with you. You know, there's no one who's taught me more about friendship than Jesus. Because once I have this right, this gets a whole lot easier. Am I right? Yeah. I, I love the relationship we see in Scripture between Peter and Jesus. And it's, it's, one, it's a story of redemption. It's a story of forgiveness and grace. And I love this story so much because we find out so much of the heart of God through this story. You know, Jesus' first words to Peter were, come and follow me. It was an invitation. It was an invitation to come and be with him. And Jesus' last words to Peter were, guess what? Come and follow me. The invitation never went away. The invitation stood still, and a lot happened in between there, and we're going to talk about a little bit of that today. We, we know that Peter is, is one of the most popular biblical characters, right, in the Bible. Most of us are a little bit familiar with Peter because he's so relatable. Peter, Peter was a fisherman, and he was, he was a little brash. He was a little rough around the edges, and he was a man who his emotions often got him in trouble, he, he spoke before he thought, and his words sometimes led to embarrassment. And he had a big mouth and said stupid things. Anyone have a friend like that? <laughs> I love those kind of people. I can think of a few. Peter, Peter knew great fear, and Peter knew great doubt. And Peter often let his passions rule him instead of putting his faith in God. But Jesus loved Peter. Jesus loved him, and not only did he love him, he invited him in to follow him and become one of his 12 disciples. And not only that, Jesus invited him in to be his inner circle. Peter and him were close. They spent more time together than most of the other disciples. And so what I want you to know here is there was a friendship. There was a relationship that Jesus and Peter had where he was in his inner circle, and that they had some rich history together that Peter was an all-in kind of friend. That's the kind of friend you want to have, one that will throw down for you. You know what I'm saying? We see that Peter, on the night of the Last Supper, as we're at that scene and Jesus' 12 disciples are around, we see that Peter, Jesus announces to his disciples after the supper is done and He's finishing. Jesus stands up and, and he predicts that every one of the disciples would fall away that very night on account of him. And, and you can almost see Peter's reaction to that as he's sitting on the edge of his seat and, and he replies, Jesus, even if all of these fall away on your account, I never will. And, and Jesus looks back at Peter and says, Peter, this very night, before the rooster even crows, you will disown me three times. And, and Peter, you can almost see his intensity, right, where he stands up. Maybe he even pounds his fists on the table and says, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. I mean, that's a moment, right? I mean, that's a moment that, like, stories are made of, that movies are made of, where, you know, wow, this is like a turning point where, wow, that is, I think Peter means it. I, I think he really means it with all his heart, but, but we know the story. Jesus is arrested, and that very night he's taken into custody, and, and, and 
Peter, the disciples scatter, just as Jesus said they would. And we see that Peter then is, wants to be close enough to know, his, to know what's going on, but far enough because he's freaking out and he's scared. And so we see him in the community center warming himself by the fire, wondering what to do. And, and pretty soon three people come and say, hey, you're one of Peter. You're, you're one of them. You were with Jesus. He's like, no. No, I wasn't. And, oh, no, you look like him. You dress like him. You even talk like him. You're, you're, no, you mistaken identity. It's not me. I don't know what you're talking about. And then a little girl comes and says, oh, yeah, I remember you. You're one of his disciples. And the Bible says that even that he, Peter swore and cursed and said, I never even knew the man. Yeah. And then the rooster crows. And then Peter remembers. And the Bible says that Peter wept bitterly. See, not only Peter had abandoned Jesus, but he denied ever even knowing him. You know, you will never find perfect people to do life with because those people don't exist. You will always be doing community with sinners. You know, this thought to me is so freeing. The fact that you will disappoint me and I will disappoint you somehow gives me comfort. And knowing that God is a God that will never disappoint, that's so comforting. You know, so many times we look to people to complete and to fill what only God was meant to fill. And this is the reason we're all so unhappy with one another. See, we've put our hope in imperfect people. We put expectations on people that they were never meant to carry, and we've gotten hurt. And because we're all sinners, and what that means is that when you have a burden to carry, and I come alongside of you, and I help get under that burden and shoulder that burden, we're close. We're close in proximity, and it's a matter of time that eventually I'm going to hurt you, and you're going to hurt me. Because that's what happens. We all hurt. We're all imperfect people. We all hold grudges. We all say stupid things. We might be in a bad mood. We might be hormonal. I don't know. But that, it's what we do. And none of us is exempt. We all have a bad day. We all make mistakes. Just like Peter. You know, as I was preparing this message and just praying over this room, God knew you would be here right now. God knew the very people, and, and as, I, as I prayed, just a burden came over me to just sense that in this room, in this moment, that we were going to have girls in this room that have undealt with hurt, that you've let destroy a beautiful relationship, that you've let come between you and a God-given friendship. Those who have hurt you, those who've betrayed you, maybe that you've hurt, and maybe that you've betrayed. People who sat at your table and claimed to be your ride or die, and now you feel let down, you feel abandoned, you feel betrayed. You're hurt. And, and it's a punch in the gut that has knocked the wind out of you. And, and because of that, you're afraid to move forward because you're afraid it might happen again. So what we do is we get in our little corner of our world where we're safe and we put up these ginormous walls that nothing's coming through and we're safe. We're safe, but we're lonely. And we've retreated. 
Can I tell you today, if that's you, God wants to heal your heart this morning. He wants you to move through that hurt. He wants you to move through that pain because we cannot allow disappointments and hurt to stop us and rob us from the divine appointments to come. See, God has a plan for you, and often that plan for you, it involves other people. So we've got to keep going. You know, John and I, we talked about this so much lately because we've seen such a division in the body of Christ And it's heartbreaking as we've seen the enemy get his grimy mitts involved in friendships and relationships and tear them apart over the stupidest things, over the pettiest things. And we're tired of it. We've been coming at these things just in the name of the Lord and rebuking them and saying, Satan, you have no authority. But but it's so hard when we see Christian believers falling for the enemy's tricks and seeing him tear Lifelong relationships, deep friendships that were ride or die, tearing them apart. And so rather than fighting for each other, the devil wants us fighting against each other. Because the enemy seeks to destroy you by destroying your relationships so he can force you into isolation. See, the enemy is well aware that if he can isolate you, you become an easy target. Did you know that? See, even in the... even in Even the strongest wild beasts become an easy prey when they're separated from their herd, when they're alone, and when they're vulnerable. The enemy can attack so much easier, and it's no different in spiritual warfare, where isolation is just as dangerous. The Bible says that our our enemy, who's very real, Satan is a real enemy that we need to take so seriously. He roams around, he prowls like a roaring lion, seeking whom he might devour. That makes me mad. That makes me want to do warfare for you girls and any other girl out there that is struggling because those who become isolated and alone, they become separated from the pack and they become easy prey for the enemy because that concerns me. That concerns me because there's sisters here now today, not here now today, that have fallen prey to the enemy. There's no safe zone when it comes to Satan. He will never admit defeat in trying to ruin and destroy your life. And in the dark with the devil, he can tell you whatever he wants. And his lies sound so good. Do you know the Bible calls him the father of lies? He's incapable of telling truth. And we have a precious, I have a precious friend. She's here. And she's my sister. And she's, she's so good to me. I love her so much. And, and she's on our volunteer team. And she's faithful. She's been with me for so many years. I tried to think of how many, and I don't even know, but long time. And I know that she's behind John and I's leadership. I know she prays for me. I know she loves me. And two weeks ago, we had a volunteer banquet where we celebrated our volunteers. And we all came together, and we had an appreciation night. We did training. And that night, we handed out assignments to what girls would be doing that night. And she got her assignment, and it was different from what she's normally done. And a couple weeks later, a couple days later, she, she met with me and said, Kristen, I noticed you put me on a different place this year. Is that because I've done a bad job? And I said, oh, my word, no. And she said, well, I just feel like maybe if I wasn't doing a good job for you, maybe I just wouldn't volunteer at all. 
And I was like, oh, my word. As I sat with Gwen in my office, Gwen, where are you? Are you? She's our leader of our volunteers. Good job, girl. And she, yeah, yeah, she's good. She's so good. She knows it. She is, um, she, next year, she's got a job. She's, got, she's keeping that job. Anyway, um, so as we, we, Gwen and I talked, and we, we noticed that this particular area, we needed a particular person to come in with the right gift mix, someone who was faithful, someone who was tactful, someone with wisdom, and who was godly and could, could, give, could give good counsel. And we, I said, I know just the person, and it's this girl because she's so good. So isn't it interesting that the enemy is telling her one thing, you're no good, you shouldn't volunteer anymore, they don't need you, you must not have done a very good job, because look, they're moving you. No, it was just the opposite. You've done such a good job, you're getting a promotion, because you are so faithful. In this. But listen to me, you girls, this is the lie of the enemy. He gets in our head and he tells us lies. I'm so thankful that my sweet friend had the maturity to come and talk to me about that. And have that conversation. Because here's what happens is we start believing the lie. And what would happen? Well, I'm just not going to volunteer this year. In fact, and now I'm a little bit isolated. And in fact, I'm kind of hurt. So I don't even know that I'm going to go to conference this year. Ah, and guess what? And then the hurt, do you see how that works? Do you see how we have to bring some truth to the lies of the enemy? I'm so thankful that she had the maturity to have that conversation. But I say this in love, not many of us do. Not many of us do. And so that's why the enemy wins over and over again. You know, the scripture tells us we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. See, we're not fighting against each other here. We're fighting, listen to this, against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. This is war. We've got to battle up. And so, of course, the most effective way for the enemy to stop what God is doing on this earth is to have us devour one another. And so instead of celebrating one another and loving one another and serving one another and encouraging one another, we are being hurt. We're being offended. We're turning our hearts bitter. We're spreading seeds of discord. And we're allowing bitterness to take hold in our heart. And we're walking away. We're walking away from the same people that God put in our path. The devil hates community. If you were fought coming in the doors, either last night or today or both, it's no wonder. The devil hates it that you're here. He hates it that you're here today, and he hates community. He wants to divide us. He wants to distract us. He wants to separate us. He wants to isolate us so he can pre pre prevent us from being most effective. Because, well, why? Because we're better together. It's that iron sharpening, iron thing. I mean, think about it. That sounds so good, right? Oh, iron sharpens iron. We're prayer partners. Think about it. That's two pieces of metal clanking together so hard that sparks are flying. That's not comfortable. But that's exactly what brings us closer to God and who he wants you to be. I want you to think about the people in your life that, and especially the people that have hurt you or that you have hurt and how easy it is to walk away. So easy, right? Our society has become so easy to cancel one another. See, we have the luxury of just moving on. When we're hurt, we just can move on. Oh, I got hurt at school, so I'm going to change schools. Or I might even homeschool. Um, I got hurt at my job, so I'm just going to change jobs. 
I got hurt at church, so that's okay. I'm just going to go to another church. Instead of staying and having the conversation we need to do. We have the luxury where we just move on and we just don't want to deal with the uncomfortable. You know, so many of us are experts at quitting each other. There's such a thing now in, in the workplace. I just saw this on the news. Have you guys seen it too? It's called quiet quitting. Have you heard of that? It's where these people, especially those working from home, they're just quitting and not telling anybody. They're not having the conversation. So eventually HR figures out they're not longing anymore. They're not clogging or they're not doing the work. They must have quiet quit. And they're just falling off the face of the earth. Yeah, they, have, they named it. It's a problem. Yeah, quiet quitting. But I'm afraid some of us are quiet quitting our relationships. There are so many times when we just, it's just easier to walk away and quiet quit. I'm calling you to hire. I'm calling you to hire. You know, there are times where this would be a much different talk, and I'm just going to hit on this just real quick, where we would deal with toxic people. And that's repeated, perpetual, unhealthy behavior. And that's not this sermon, okay? That's a really good sermon I think you should listen to sometime, but that's not this sermon, okay? That, that's where you would draw a boundary and say, you know what, this behavior, it's continual and it's non-repentive, and I'm not going to deal with it, so I'm going to draw a boundary in the sand. That's not what I'm talking about here, because we've gotten so good at drawing boundaries that we've forgotten what perseverance looks like. We've gotten so good at drawing a boundary that we've forgotten what grace looks like and forgiveness looks like. You know, there's an epidemic right now, and it's a fairly new epidemic within the last couple hundred years. It's called loneliness. And so we're all struggling, but we're not struggling together. We're struggling alone you know, research says that three in five Americans report being chronically lonely, and that's pre-COVID numbers. So you can just imagine what that's like now. Four in five, look around this room. If you're lonely today, you're not alone. You, you are in good company, but we've got to fix that. That's not okay. Anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, all on the rise. Scientists now warn us that loneliness is worse for your health than obesity, lack of access to health care, physical act inactivity, and smoking. So I guess if you're going to smoke, you should do that with friends, okay? <laughs> but so many of us are, are lonely and we're disconnected because we've been hurt and we've backed off from each other because that's just easier, See, I'm convinced a key reason for loneliness is that we just give up too easily. Things get hard. Things get awkward. And we don't want to have that conversation. Things get uncomfortable, and we don't want to deal with that. So we just back off and we bail. We bail the relationship of setting, putting the hard work into it. You know, as much as I love you, and as much as I hope you love me, eventually there's going to be a time where we disagree where I say the wrong thing, or you do the wrong thing, and we're going to come to that pain. You know, this last year, two years has showed us that, hasn't it? I mean, good grief. We have 
debates over masks and vaccines and political preferences and how you choose to educate your children or whether you're going to stay home or, or not stay home. I mean, wow, right? I mean, so much. It's a matter of time whether or not we love each other. We're eventually going to come to a point where I say something that makes you go, hmm. Or you do something that makes me go, hmm. And we have a choice to make then. Do we, do we press through that? Do we press through that hurt and get uncomfortable and say, you know what, let's talk about that. Let's, we have too much history here. We have too much good here to throw that away. I'm not going to waste that. And I'm going to press through. Even though it's a little bit uncomfortable, I'm going to do that because I want to glorify God in everything I say and do. And so we don't quit each other. Because if you quit each other and we have to start over with new people, guess what? New people, they're going to hurt you too. Because that's what happens. Or they're going to hurt us or both. You know, the way the enemy keeps us apart from one another is he just keeps us hurt. He keeps us so hurt and so wounded that we just want to quit the relationship instead of putting in the hard work. You know, I don't know about you, but I want friends who have the potential to make me better, who have the potential to be that iron sharpens iron in my life. But here's the thing. If I'm going to ask for that, then I need to allow them to do that in my life. And sometimes that's painful. Look for people who will call you higher, not for people who are going to let things slide. You know, recently I've been asking a few of my closest friends to help me see my blind spots. You know, we have them. All of us do. What am I missing? Where am I not hitting the mark? Where are my blind spots? And, and help me in love. You, I don't recommend you do this with everyone. Your closest people who love you, who care for you, who want the best for you, who want you to grow, that's who you ask. Jesus had three, his three closest friends. One of the things I'm asking, another question I'm asking my friends lately is, what's it like to be on the other side of me? I want to know. You know, that's a hard, that, that, that's a great question. That's a brave question to ask, but that's a hard answer to hear. And you've got to be ready for it. But here's the part that grow, of growing that leads us closer to God and who he wants us to be because we all have blind spots. You know, the Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend, and they can be trusted. It's that iron sharpening iron. Guys, it's not supposed to be comfortable because the truth in love is the safest place to be, even if it stings a little. Girls, I'm calling you to hire. I'm calling you to hire. I'm calling you to be different than the culture that's out there, the culture of backbiting and gossip and cattiness and pettiness and holding grudges and being an unforgiving person. I'm calling you higher because that's what the world would do. But we're not of this world. We are different. We represent Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And how would he handle life? See, we're supposed to look different in a culture that's so unforgiving, that's a cancel culture, that's just downright mean. I'm calling you to better. I'm calling you to hire. I'm calling you to love one another. See, if our people that are around us know that we love them, 
We can bear with one another when the words don't come out right or when the little offense happens. You know, you don't have to be offended every time you're offended. <laughs> you don't. You do not have to own that. You could say, you know what, I'm going to give grace there. I know she's busy. I know she's going through something hard right now. It's okay. It's not about me. Let's, let me reach back out to her and love on her. No one has wounded me more than the people I'm closest to. And sometimes my imperfect people, I think they're pretty perfect, but my imperfect people don't get it all right. And that's life. And we have to figure out how to deal with this in a way that honors and glorifies God to the rest of the world because the world is watching. Jesus said it perfectly and clearest when the religious leaders of the day asked him, which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said it's really pretty easy. We love God and we love people. And scripture tells us that you and I will be known for our love. We'll be known for our love, and if we don't love, we will not be known, at least not for Christ's sake. Oh, we'll be known all right. We'll be known for our fighting. We'll be known because this is, listen, this is what the world is saying out there. People are saying, you know why I don't want to receive the gospel is I'm scared to death I'm going to turn out like you. Yeah. See, there are circles of people out there that call themselves Christians, that call themselves Christ followers, that I just want to disagree with them because they're so hateful. They're so hateful. I don't want to even be counted in their camp. I don't want my name anywhere near theirs. Do you know what I'm saying? Love is our calling card over and over and over again. And boy, if we aren't loving one another well, we are not representing Jesus well. So, so Peter, he's just betrayed his best friend. And now Jesus has been crucified. He's been laid in the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the Martha of J mother of James um, come to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body, as was tradition. And they show up, and they see an angel of the Lord there. And the angel says to them, Jesus isn't here. He's risen. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 7, it says, the angel tells them, go and tell the disciples and Peter. He's gone ahead of you to Galilee. Interesting. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You know, it's one thing if he just would have said, just go tell the disciples, right? I mean, there's 12 of them. We all know that. No, go tell the disciples and Peter. Why? Because he calls Peter by name because Peter doesn't think he's still a disciple. Now, we understand this so well because we live in a culture that cancels. And Peter has messed up. I mean, he's really messed up. And, and he feels like maybe he's lost his place at the table, lost his destiny, lost his invitation to come and even be a disciple. I mean, am I a disciple right now? I don't even know. I've messed up so bad. And he's so lost right now because he's, he's messed up so bad. Maybe today you're in the room and you wonder, have I messed up so bad I've lost my destiny? I've lost God's perfect plan for my life because I screwed it up. 
John chapter 21 picks up on the story, and we see now that Jesus encounters Peter for the first time in interaction that we see in Scripture. And Peter and some of the guys have now returned to fishing. They've returned to their way of life before they knew Jesus. And they're going fishing. And they fished all night, and they didn't catch any fish. In verse 5, it says that, he says to them, friends, you didn't catch any fish, did you? Now, first of all, that would be super annoying, right? I mean, duh. No, we fished all night, and we haven't caught a thing. But thanks for pointing that out to us. And they answer back to him, no, we didn't. They don't know it's Jesus at this point. He says, throw your nets on the other side of the boat, and you will find some there. You know, maybe this sounds familiar to you. Maybe you've heard this story before. And I just want to tell you where they fished all night, and they caught no fishes, and they cast the nets on the other side of the boat, and then, voila, their nets were so full of fish, they couldn't even haul them in. Well, this is the second time, if this story sounds familiar to you, this is the second time that Jesus has done this miracle. Any guesses when Jesus did it the first time? It's on the day he met Peter. It's on the day that he asked Peter to come and follow him and be a disciple. I don't want you to miss this here because here in the moment of Peter's greatest failure, we now see Jesus as she, how he treats Peter in this moment, and it's precious. See, Jesus is so kind. He creates this miracle to let Peter know, hey, Peter, I've still, I still invited you. Remember? Remember when I did this before and I called you to come and be my follower? The invitation's still open. It hasn't went anymore. And I'm creating this moment again, Peter, to remind you you're not too far gone. The invitation's still here. I'm not mad at you. We're good. And I have a plan for you, Peter. You know, I don't know what you've been a part of, what's been part of your life. I don't know what your hands have touched what your eyes have seen, and I don't know what's been spoken over you. I don't know. But, but I do know that the heart of God in the midst of Peter's greatest failure recreates this moment of connection and says, I still want you. Come to my table. I still have a place for you. And Peter does something so Peter-like. I just love it. It says that when Simon Peter knew that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garments and he threw himself into the sea. I just love that. Because Peter's saying, you know what, I'm not going to hold back anymore. I've been living in torment, knowing that I've hurt you, knowing that I've let you down. I'm coming to you. It's not pretty, but I'm moving towards you. I'm going to walk out of my shame and I'm not going to look back and I'm going to come towards you right now. So he puts on his clothes and he throws himself into the water. Nobody does that. Nobody does that. He dives in. It's not pretty. It was a mess. Because why? Because Peter's a mess. And he arrives on the shore in verse 9. And, and it says that they go and they see a charcoal fire. I want you to remember that. Verse 12, it says that and Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. Come sit. Come to my table. And so they sit down. And, you know, I don't know that Peter was able to eat much, honestly, because Jesus sets him down in front of a charcoal fire. 
Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's fires throughout the Bible, but this charcoal fire is a very specific word in Scripture that actually only shows up two times in Scripture. How many of you can guess the other time it showed up in Scripture? It's when Peter was warming himself around the fire the night he denied knowing Jesus. And so Jesus is recreating, once again, this moment of connection for Peter. Peter, I know. I know what you've done. I know your heart. And I still love you. There's a seat at the table for you, Peter. The relationship is still open. It's not beyond repair. He recreates this moment of Peter's greatest failure. And he says, Peter, we we have to deal with this. We have to talk about this. And so in verse 15, when they finished with breakfast, Jesus looks at Peter and he calls him. He says, Simon Peter, son of John. Now, he never called him that. Jesus never used his full name. You know, it's like when your mom uses your full name, you're like, oh, Kristen Lee Bowers. It's like, I've got to go. Why? I don't know, but it's bad. <laughs> mom, when mom used your full name, you knew you were in trouble. Jesus uses Peter's full name here. And, and, and this is what Peter would expect. Peter would expect the same thing that any one of us would expect when we were talking to someone that we've hurt, someone that we've disappointed, someone that we love so much. And we're so sorry, but there's so much shame and there's embarrassment there. And, and it's awkward. It's hard. It's hard to have those conversations. I'm going to invite my sister, Kendra to the stage to help me illustrate this point with Peter and Jesus. You guys know Kendra. She's one of our missionaries we support from Lithuania. And she's so beautiful. Kendra, you get to be Jesus because you're holier than me for sure. <laughs> and I get to be Peter. And I've just hurt you. And looking into your eyes and not knowing what's going to come back because what's going on in my head right now is I am such a jerk. I'm a terrible person because you're probably thinking, Peter, you said you loved me. You said you would never do this to me. And yet here you are. It didn't look like that back there. And this is what we expect, right? This retaliation. And we'd expect to be blasted, right? We'd expect for sure a good scolding. We'd expect an eye for an eye. You hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you because hurt people hurt people. And so I've asked Kendra to come to the stage, and you're Jesus now. And Kendra, on the count of three, I'm going to have you punch me in the stomach, okay? I, I, I know. She doesn't want to do this. I need you to do it for our illustration today. And this is what... In a moment like this, guys, when we've, we've hurt someone. You know, the interesting thing about it is Peter's the one who's done the hurting. But yet Peter's doing a really good job of beating himself up. Sometimes we don't know need anyone else to beat us up because we have that covered really good, right? So, Kendra, on the count of three. Don't do it before I say three because i got to get ready. I want you to punch me. In the gut, okay? As hard as you can. Okay. One, two, 
Jesus always responds in love. Jesus always responds in love, and it's a beautiful response. John reminded me of a man that came to our previous church, and he was madder than a hornet. Mad, like screaming top of his lungs, angry at God, angry at the church, angry at the pastors, just angry. And one of our pastors went out and just went to him and just hugged him, gave him the greatest hug, and wouldn't let go, hugged him so tight and wouldn't let go. And eventually the man burst into tears and collapsed to the floor weeping. Guys, hurt people, hurt people. We need to respond in love. What a powerful, powerful, beautiful response. Because, because here's what Jesus does next. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he asks him this three times. And every time Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. Do you, Simon, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. Feed my sheep. What's he saying? What's Jesus saying? Peter, we've got work to do. Let's move past this hurt. Let's get our eyes on looking forward instead of looking back because sometimes we let our failures of the past determine our future. And it's time to move on. It's time to not keep looking back. It's time to heal from that and moving on. Because why? Because God's got a plan for you. He's got a job for you. You know, at times like this, someone here might be thinking, well, how can Jesus just dismiss the fact that Peter betrayed him? How can he do that? Jesus doesn't dismiss Peter's sin. Jesus paid for it. Just like he did mine and just like he did yours. You know, Jesus was on the cross and this is the words he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Peter with his big mouth, Jesus loved him. Jesus accepted him. Jesus used him to build his church, and that's what we're called to do. So here in closing, I just want to leave you with some thoughts. If you guys want to get out your notebooks, I would love for you to jot these three questions down. You know, if you're like me, conference doesn't end at 1 o'clock today. Conference keeps going for the next while as the Lord completes the work that he started in me right here as I look through my notes and I pray into, Lord, what is it you're saying? Because he's faithful to complete the work he started in you. That's what scripture says. And so, girls, I, I want you to know that I'm calling you higher. I'm calling you higher. I want to call the gold out of you. I want to be a person in your life that's that iron sharpens iron. I want you to push through your fear. I'm going to, I want to, I want you to push through your hurt and your pain. And I want you to look like Jesus because that's what we're called to do. We're called to move through these hard things because Jesus set the table of reconciliation and so can we. You can do hard things. 
These things I'm asking today, this is not an easy message. I know that. You can do hard things. God is calling you to hire. Number one question, how is my relationship with God? Really? How is my relationship with God? How can I get closer with him? What do I need to do to press in to his presence? Number two, is there someone I need to make things right with? This is hard. Is there part of me that's wasting energy holding onto a grudge? Or that I've been bitter about, you know? Is there something I need to lay down in my mind that I need to make something right with? Is there tension between me and someone that I just need to go and say, hey, I feel this between us. Are we good? Maybe it's someone I need to apologize to. Why is that so hard? Just, I'm sorry. And then stop talking. Because the more you talk, the more it sounds like you're defending yourself. Is there someone that I need to ask forgiveness from? Romans 12, 18, it tells us, if it's possible, as far as it depends on me, live at peace with everyone. God's calling us to hire. Number three, who is God calling me to do community with? And then do it. Who is God calling me? See, community can't be optional for us. We have to have one another. We have to have people. What does this look like? Romans 1.12 tells us. It says, now this means that we will be, well, we'll come together and we are side by side. Something wonderful will be released. We can expect to be co-encouraged and co-comforted by each other's faith. That's beautiful. That's gorgeous. I want that. So who is God calling me to be, do community with? We talked last night about mentorship. That's a great opportunity for you to step into community with some girls. We, we, we have groups here, myabundantlife.com slash groups, that you can be involved in. A community of people, we meet almost every night of the week. There's co-ed groups and there's some just for ladies that you can go to that site and filter out what works best for you. Join a group. That's a community. You can serve in this church. I love that this section right here is our amazing kids ministry workers. And they took up this front section. I think there's 25 seats. And they said, guys, let's go to conference together. That's community. They're serving together. That's beautiful. Guys, don't miss the opportunity to have community. We so need it. So as I've just preached the word and been obedient to what God has put on my heart, I just, as the Holy Spirit now does the rest, maybe think about those questions. Maybe jot down. Maybe he'll speak to you today about those. Maybe he'll wait until after conference because I know Pastor Jeannie's coming a little bit and going to give a good word. Isn't she incredible? She's amazing. I love her. It's good. It's been good. It's been good. I, this is a strong word. I know you girls can handle it because I'm calling you higher. And so, Jesus, we love you so much. We're so thankful for your grace. We're saying those, so thankful for your, that you don't cancel us ever. And, Lord, you've invited us to your table. And, Lord, I pray that you'd make each one of us look more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to get in touch or would like more resources on how to live a successful Christian life, you can always find us at myabundantlife.com. Have a blessed week.